North Pole Hotline, Mrs. Claus here. My holiday shopping list is so big, I can't wait for Black Friday. Get to Old Navy's biggest sale of the year starting tomorrow. Old Navy? Beat the crowds for 50% off your entire purchase. 50% off? Plus, this Friday only, Old Navy's famous cozy socks are just a buck in stores. Old Navy's giving $1 for every pair sold up to a million dollars to boys and girls clubs. So I can do good, look good, and get 50% off your entire purchase at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1121 to 1123. Exclusions apply. See store for details. Cozy socks valid 1123 in stores only. Limit 10. It's Dr. Low time. It's Dr. Low time. Hey guys, it's Dr. Lauren Noel. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Dr. Low Radio. I am so excited for this show tonight. A very, very fun topic and a very, very fun guest. And the way I see it, if it ain't fun, it ain't worth it, right? So we are talking all about kombucha. What is kombucha? What's it good for? How do you make it? We're going to be talking about how to make homemade kombucha and even homemade kombucha fruit snacks. I don't know about you guys, but I was obsessed with fruit snacks, fruit leathers, uh, fruit roll-ups. That's just my jam. So to have a healthy version of that is always really cool in my book. This show will be airing just after the 4th of July, so I hope all of you had a wonderful and super fun 4th with your family. I hope you got to have some downtime and relaxation time, and you know, things may be a little crazy in this country from time to time, but we're all really, really blessed to live where we live and to have the the luxuries and blessings um, where we are. So I think especially during this time, it's so powerful to have, you know, a sense of gratitude and just being really thankful for the kind of life that we have. I'm very grateful for all of you. I'm grateful for this show, for being able to bring you content weekly and just to spread the love of natural health and medicine throughout the world. So I just, uh, I just love you guys. And thank you so much for um, just the loyalty and all the support. It means the world. And thank you so much for the reviews over on iTunes. If you love the show and you've been liking what you're hearing and it's been providing value, please go over there and leave me a five-star review and tell me that the show is awesome. I read all of them and they just warm my heart. For all previous episodes of the show, you can tune in on iTunes in the podcast directory, or you can also go over to shinenaturalmedicine.com. You can sign up for email updates. We send regular emails with just really fun blogs and recipes and just kind of the happenings of what we're up to. For those of you who don't know, Shine Natural Medicine is my practice here in San Diego, where I work with patients locally in the area and all over the country. So we have a team of doctors who are very skilled and just work from their heart and really want you to be healthy and getting to the root of the problem. And we use things like nutrition, herbal medicine, um, homeopathy, uh, targeted supplementation, lifestyle changes, you know, the things that really work. That's what we really like to focus on. And very rarely do we use medications unless we really have to. So you can learn more about us again over at shinenaturalmedicine.com and all of the previous shows are on that as well. Without further ado, let's jump into the show. All right, we have the amazing Hannah Crum on the show, who I had the pleasure of meeting at Paleo FX not too long ago, and this girl cracks me up, and she has an amazing book that is beautiful, it looks like a piece of artwork, and I knew instantly that we were going to be just add water friends, so instant friends, and uh, we uh, had to do a show together, so we have her on the show, a little bit about Hannah, Hannah Crum is the kombucha mama. She's the founder of the Kombucha Camp Workshop, which evolved into kombuchacamp.com, and it's Kombucha Camp, both with K's, where she partnered with her husband, Alex Ligori. 
Um, Kombucha Camp's mission is changing the world one gut at a time, which is accomplished through empowering others to safely brew kombucha at home by providing quality information, quality supplies, and quality support. Together, Hannah and her husband Alex also co-founded Kombucha Brewers International in 2014 to support the commercial kombucha industry by promoting and protecting access to bottled kombucha around the world, where Hannah serves as president. Their 400-page full-color The Book of Kombucha from Story Publishing uh, debuted in March of 2016 and has already garnered much acclaim. Hannah is also a leader and featured speaker in the real food movement, using the kombucha lifestyle as an introduction to other fermented foods, gut health, the human microbiome, bacterio sapiens, <laughs> and more. Kombucha, or I was going to call you kombucha. Hey, kombucha, welcome to the show. <laughs> hey, woo, I'm in. Oh How low can you go? Hey. Let's talk about the booch. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I love that you called it that. I've never heard that. I think that's really funny. So, Hannah, you're wonderful, and I I want to get to know you personally more. And, and and for my listeners who are new to your world, you know what the heck brought you to the world of kombucha? You know, um, I feel like kombucha found me. I call it kombucha <laughs> kismet because. You know, a lot of people, when they are out there, um, you know, a lot of people have health challenges, as you already know. That's, you know, who you work with. And so people are always on the lookout, like, what's something I can do to help improve my health that's going to be good for me? You know, uh, especially when people start to get fed up with kind of the traditional ways we have to deal with that. They go, well, let's go back. Let's let's look deeper. What did people do before we had all these, uh, you know, patients with long names and things like that? And, uh, And so a lot of people seek kombucha out because they are on a mission to um, revitalize or to rebalance. And, you know, it has such a reputation with its ancient names being, you know, the tea of immortality, the tea of long life, you know, and don't let those names freak you out. They, they're, I think they're more an homage to what kombucha can do. But for me, I didn't have that same type of quest that I was on. And um, it, for me, it was, it, it found me. I was visiting a friend from college in San Francisco, which, as you probably know, is a hotbed of hippie activity, and <laughs> brewing kombucha is certainly up there in terms of hippie activities. Yep. And even though I didn't get to taste my friend's booch, I saw it. I saw this <laughs> these jars and this stuff floating in there, and it looked really weird. I was like, whoa, that's weird stuff. But um, I came back to L.A., and fortunately, in the early 2000s, we already had plenty of kombucha all over the Whole Foods shelves. So I grabbed a bottle of gingerade off the shelf. And I don't know what your first reaction was to tasting kombucha, but for me, and in retrospect, it was like the light shone down from heaven. The angels were singing and every nerve ending in my body was just on fire. It was so good to me. Now, true confession, Lo, I'm the girl who was sneaking the pickle juice out of the pickle jar. Even oh my gosh, me too. Me. I always right? like to drink that. <laughs> my mouth so is watered. Yeah, totally. Right. Exactly. Your mouth waters, your nipples get hard, you know, Uh, but that's just, that's that exciting enlivening feeling of something that is genuine and uh, electric. And so that was the feeling I got from drinking kombucha. And uh, a lot of people out there that, that first response may not have been so positive for a lot of people. They're like, Oh, it's a punch in the mouth. Oh, it's so sour. It's tangy. You know, Um, a lot of people make kombucha face, which is that little all puckered in sour face. Yeah. But For me, I love that. That flavor resonated with me. So, you know, like a lot of people, I started buying the stuff off the shelves. And as happens when you fall in love with something that tastes that good is my thirst quickly outgrew my budget. Mm 
And here's the weird thing. At that time, I'm totally standard American diet, microwave, ramen, cereal in boxes, all kinds of the foods that literally never touched my shelves ever, um, you know, over a decade later. But at that time, for me to want to take on a project like making something myself was kind of outside of my normal um, my normal comfort zone. But how hard could it be, right? I'd seen the, the jars with the crazy stuff floating in it, and I figured I'm just going to give it a try. And in fact, it's actually really easy to do, you know? So I found a culture locally here in LA. I went to the library and checked out every book I could find on the subject. And, uh, and before you knew it, I was at home brewing up the booch. <laughs> now, this is not a new type of process that we're doing now as humans. We've been fermenting for over 7,000 years from what I've studied. And mm-hmm. so it's something that our, our digestive tracts really are used to having. And it's just, we've gotten away from that practice, especially in, um, you know, in Western cultures, right? Exactly right. You know, and it's because of the processed foods revolution, right? Once they started telling us, hey, moms, you don't have to cook. Moms, get out of the kitchen, save time. You know, what happened in effect is we cut off this transmission point, you know, how so many of us have learned to cook and, you know, outside of home ec classes, which also don't exist anymore, was we had mothers or grandmothers or fathers or grandpas who were showing us how to do these things. You know, here's how I made things when I was a child. Here's how my, my grandma, my family did it. And when we broke that transmission, a lot of things got lost. And um, when we started substituting out these healthy foods for these fake foods of commerce, you know, we really did our health a disservice. But, you know, fermentation, like you said, has been has been co-evolving with humans since the dawn of time. And yeah. what's really exciting to me is all the current research on the human microbiome and just really seeing science validate how valuable and how important that connection is to our environment. And, you know, just before we popped on here, you were talking about gardening. Yeah. It's that connection to the earth and fermentation is something that keeps us in contact with those good bugs. Mm -hmm. I spoke recently at Fit Life Live over the weekend and my talk was about that your gut is everything and about just the beauty of your microbiome and, and just how really important it is. And we're, we've left the area, the era of genes and genetics, and we're, we've entered into the, the arena of the, the microbiome project and learning about this. $100 million is put into research, into studying this, because doctors know, um, you know, researchers know this is a huge, huge area. And we are more bacteria than we are human by 10 to 1. And one thing I, I learned recently, and I probably had heard this, but that only 1% of our genes are our, ours. 99% of the genes in our body are our bacteria. Isn't that wild? Yeah. But this is how important they are, right? So they're so ubiquitous that not only do they cover every single surface of anything you can even see around you, including your body, they cover every surface inside of your body, and they're inside of the nucleus of your cells. We require bacteria just to do that... um, that transcription process so that we can even replicate a cell into a new one. And so this is why, to coin a phrase, I've called humans bacterio sapiens because Mm -hmm. I think that more aptly encapsulates the relationship that we have to the bacteria world. And I think... If we start to look more and more to those relationships and the interplay and literally the whole ecosystem of what we're talking about here, you know, it's not one bacteria or one strain or one this that's 
that's ever going to help, you know, put us back together again, but it's that diversity. Yeah. And, and that gets me really excited because, you know, I'm a microcosm, macrocosm kind of girl. And so to understand the relationship and diversity and, and the role that that plays to our gut health, our mental health, our emotional health, our physical health, and then imagining how do we extrapolate those relationships out into the bigger world, in community, in how we connect with other people, when we come into contact with them physically, right? Whenever we hug or we do a boobia or, you know, we <laughs> anything or we share a drink, right? We're passing back and forth these small amounts of bacteria and our immune system all comes from what we're ingesting. And so if we exchange these small amounts of bacteria, even if some are potentially negative, the body gets a chance to build its immune system. And it's really this, you know, fear and separation and isolation and the antibacterial soaps and the hand sanitizers that has led to a decline in our health, as opposed to like, if we imitate the bacteria and we come together and we create connection. Mm -hmm. Connect with bacteria. (laughs) I yeah. love that you talked about the biodiversity. That's that's so important, especially in Western cultures where we have less biodiversity than other cultures. I remember coming across a study that was looking at uh, sub-Saharan African children versus uh, Western cultured children. They were actually in Northern Europe. They found that um, with American, or sorry, with Western the Western um, culture um, uh, participants they were studying they had less of the bacteroides bacteria and the sub-Saharan African children had more of those and had less incidence of many of the diseases. And uh, so I just thought that was really interesting. And, you know, people know about probiotics, but there's a difference between a probiotic and a fermented food, right? There is. Although I think if we look at the definition that's been generated by the World Health Organization, I mean, it's a pretty straightforward definition. It's basically any kind of organisms that confer a benefit to the host. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, the bacteria, the yeast in living form, all of these can be considered probiotic, although our traditional understanding of probiotics is very much rooted in yogurt and kefir, you know, very much in the um, dairy-based products. But I think these do have probiotic benefits beyond and above that. But like you're saying, it isn't just necessarily, you know, fermented equals good. Do you know what I mean? Like, like there is, but there are some people again, because our immune systems are so all over the place that they can't tolerate histamines, which is something that a lot of fermented foods, um, excrete or can lead to an increase of. And so, um, as much as, again, our culture is very much geared toward what's the one thing that's going to, you know, save me from all my woes, the reality is it's never one thing and that all fermented foods, including kombucha, need to be part of a diverse diet of, of foods and things that we're consuming because it's not one thing that's ever going to uh, put us back on track. For, for sure. Absolutely. And, and I, I'm assuming that all my, guests, or all my listeners have heard of kombucha, but I know that that's not the case. So let's, let's take a step back. What is kombucha and what is it about it that is so good for the gut? Absolutely. So kombucha is very simply fermented tea. It's actually, and you know, some commercial producers would cringe to hear me say this, but it's actually a tea vinegar. So it is an acetic acid ferment like vinegar, um, but it's a lot weaker. So most vinegars, when you're, you know, buying them at the store, they're diluted to a four to eight percent acidic solution. Kombucha is half a percent, less than that, up to one percent. So it's a much milder acidity. And so that's why it's like an easy drinking vinegar. You can drink a lot more kombucha than you can of your raw apple cider vinegar, and that's because it isn't as intense. 
And so just like um, yogurt is fermented milk, kombucha is fermented tea. But in in order to spur any fermentation process, we do need sugar. Uh, Sugar in the case of kombucha comes in the form of, well, sugar, Um, specifically sucrose, which is a disaccharide. So it's comprised of both fructose and glucose. And both of these elements are crucial for the fermentation process as each of them informs different aspects of the organisms, of the types of healthy acids. Created So, for instance, some of the healthy acids that are known to help with detoxification and healthy liver function are gluconic and glucuronic acid. Those come from the glucose molecule of the sugar. Um, so, and then we have this weird thing called a SCOBY, right? So, what's a Those SCOBY? Those freak me out. I'm not going to lie. SCOBYs <laughs> freak me out. Yeah. Scobies love you. <laughs> they freak me out. <laughs> and they won't climb out of the jar and just crawl into your bed. I promise. Okay. <laughs> But they do look a little funky. So SCOBY is an acronym, which means Symbiotic Culture of Bacteria and Yeast. It's a pretty straightforward name. But basically, the bacteria um, create this cellulose fiber. Literally, if you look at them under an electron microscope, they are so dense because every single part of their exterior is is throwing out this nanofiber of cellulose. I mean, imagine a spider with, like, silk webs coming off of all parts of its body. And then those slowly fuse together into it creates a dense pellicle. And this bacterial cellulose has a whole host of really fascinating uses and is starting to be turned into things like uh, vegan leather and it's getting shot into space and, you know, can be used to create living bandages or jewelry. So we're kind of tip of the iceberg with what all this stuff can do. But Suffice to say, these little bacteria are little, um, you know, polymer factories, and they create these fibers, and that's what makes this little pancake that we use to move from batch to batch. It's like our mothership. Mm. And so it goes around from batch to batch of sweet tea, creating more kombucha. And so that, that sugar is all eaten up. It's not like you're drinking just like a bunch of Kool-Aid. It's exactly right. Now, not all of it's eaten up because that's the spoonful of sugar that helps the medicine go down. And again, we have very much like all or nothing mentality in this country yeah. and sugar has been put on the demon list. Well, what we always say is consider the source. Yeah. What kind of sugar is it? Is this a high fructose corn syrup that's been made through a chemicalized process and delivers no nutritional value? Is it a, you know, or is it something like a, derived from sugar cane that does have nutritional value? Because the reality is sugar is a vital nutrient. Now, the problem is, of course, it's in everything. And so it, it quickly loses that vital nutrient status when you consume it out of balance. Absolutely. So is kombucha kombucha? Are there different kinds? Are there some that are better than others? Great question. And, you know, um, I always say start with whatever brand is local or handy to you. There are some great national brands you can try. You know, GT's has been out there forever. They they started the whole commercial industry back in 1995. Um, his mother had a kind of a famous story here. His mother was battling cancer. She was also making kombucha at the time, and she really credited consuming kombucha throughout her process. She did go through chemo. She did go through the whole process, but she drank consu- uh, kombucha the whole way through, and she felt it really supported her healing process. And she's been cancer-free, you know, over 20 years later. So that was her story. And her son, witnessing this, was so moved by how this affected her that he he became – his mission in life was just to put it in a bottle. So – You know, what's interesting about that story, and I'll come back to your other question here, but what's interesting about that is that's really the vast majority of kombucha producers out there are just like that. 
They're people who experienced a health challenge. Kombucha helped them in some way. They were so inspired by the kombucha helping them that they wanted to share it with their communities. And so, so many of our producers are small family businesses or people who are really out there working in the community. Most of them start in farmer's markets before they then grow into larger brands. So it's always great to get out into your local community and support whoever's out there brewing up the booch. But of course, what's really awesome now is uh, just like yoga, Following a similar trajectory, we are now seeing kombucha carried in lots of major retail grocery stores and big box stores, Targets and Costco's and places like that. So it's exciting right. to see how quickly it's getting out there. Yeah, just that there's so much attention around it. I think that's it's really a, a step in the right direction for sure. So, yeah. So um, your book is amazing. It's beautiful. I have it actually on my um, the in our waiting area at the clinic on the main table there so people can flip through it while they're waiting for their appointment so because it's just so pretty awesome. and such good content so tell me about your book and you also have a recipe for aren't they like little fr- like fruit snacks like kombucha snacks yes yes i i so good thank you paleo effects yeah the scoby fruit leather um so you can eat that bacterial cellulose but uh but to backtrack to the book um you know the book just came out in march this is a labor of love alex and i've been working on it for many years anyone who's visiting kombuchacamp.com. You know, we put the website up in 2007 and then evolved it in 2010 to kind of be the the one-stop shop, if you will, for all things kombucha. And this was an outgrowth of just our love of kombucha, the many years we spent researching and working with it. And so 400 pages is no small book. Um, It literally has everything you could possibly want to know about kombucha and then some, including 260 flavoring inspirations, several food recipes, as well as an appendix section where we talk about some of the symptoms that kombucha has been touted for benefiting Mm. tied to research though. So part of our mission with this book was to remove it from the realm of woo-woo and root it in you know, science rooted in, um, rooted in reality because it's easy for people to want to ascribe mystical qualities to it. But again, ancients, you know, we've always ascribed mystical qualities to things we didn't fully understand, gravity included, you know, or the fact that we go around the sun, things like that. So, um, it's just exciting to see the science supporting that which humans have all have understood innately about kombucha for a really long time. Yeah. What's your favorite recipe or any, any favorites you have? Oh my gosh. Well, I'm sipping right now. Elderflower lemon. Ooh. It's one of my favorites for the summer. Do you like St. Germain or any of those elderflower liqueurs? Totally. Big fan. So this is an inspiration inspired by, and every once in a while I'll mix a little St. Germain in there too, to give it a cocktail. Kombucha cocktails are the best. Oh, I, I love those. I've actually had that. That's good. It's so yummy. And then, um, the flavor that hooked my husband was pink lemonade. So that's a strawberry lemon thyme. Really fantastic. And all these recipes are in the book. And then there's some really, like we go crazy. There's some bacon kombucha recipes. (laughs) I know it might sound counterintuitive, but again, remember that it's got sort of these vinegar like qualities. You can see how that tanginess might pair well with a savory or salty type of, um, offering. So there's also like some with seaweed or some with uh, mushrooms and, and things like that. So you can get super creative with this stuff. And the nice thing is, is because it's that vinegar, it has those trace amounts of alcohol. It extracts the nutrition and passes it on to you in the fi- in the final brew. That's cool. So for, I, I have had patients come into my office who are drinking this stuff, like almost instead of water. So how much do you think we should be consuming to, to get the benefits from kombucha? Well, it's a tonic. And so a little bit 
a few times a day is the best way to consume it, especially if you're new to kombucha. And the reason for that is just like any kind of food that's going to um, clear you out, so to slow and let your body adjust naturally. In terms of how much is too much to drink, again, this is a trust your gut, which is our motto. Trust your gut. Mm -hmm. Don't listen to my gut. What I drink is not necessarily what you should drink. You know, for instance, my husband will drink, you know, 32 ounces plus a day. I'll probably have anywhere from zero to 16 ounces. And some, you know, some days I don't have any kombucha at all. And again, that's just listening to my body and trusting that, um, you know, it's going to tell me when I need some. And if I've if it's been a couple of days or if I'm traveling, I can feel the difference. Like it's very different when you have access to your kombucha versus when you don't. So I'm, I always like to buy it when I'm on the road. Yeah. Do you have any favorite brands that you, that you like to buy? I do. Well, um, like I said, I like to buy the local brands. Yeah. The GPs is good. Um, Health Aid is here in LA and they will tell anybody they use our culture. So there are several brands. I love Health there. Aid. That, that was the, that was the first kombucha that I tried that I go, Oh, okay. I could actually drink this. So yeah. that's cool. They use your cultures. Exactly right. So we feel like we've got all these little like baby kombucha camp brands out there in the world, yeah. uh, that, which is, you know, our mission is to change the world one gut at a time. And we know we can't do it alone. We want to be, we want to emulate our mother culture and do it in symbiosis, which doesn't mean kumbaya, by the way. Symbiosis <laughs> is healthy competition. Um, it's not, let's all just get along. Um, <laughs> there's that too, but competition is a vital part of that process. And, um, and let's see. So like, uh, like I really like Bucci is in the South southeast of the United States is really sour and herbal and like very like punch you in the mouth. I love that. <laughs> uh, I do. That's really a flavor I dig. Um, in the, in the Rocky mountains, there's high country, which is much more mellow. It's, um, it's a very smooth kombucha. There's, um, you know, there's just, there's kombuchas everywhere. Name a place and I'll tell you the kombucha I like. What there. about Portland? I used to live up there. Do you have any favorites up there? Portland. Yeah. So there's, um, there's a couple of brands. So brew doctor, there's a couple of their flavors. I really like theirs are very tea focused having been an offshoot of Townsend's tea. So uh-huh. there's really interesting with the different blends they have. Um, Portland is also home to, um, well, there's a, there's some newer ones, one breath, which is like a kefir and kombucha blend. The benefit to that is kefir's mm. a little sweeter. And so by blending it, with the kombucha, you mellow the flavor a little bit and you get extra probiotics in there. Um, that's cool. Yeah. There's, there's so many brands and I apologize to any brand out there. I'm forgetting to, to mention by name, but, um, you, you know, know, your booch, you know, your booch. Well, we have a kombucha museum. So there's that picture in the book of the shelf with all the kombuchas on it. That's part of our museum. So <laughs> of course, uh, yes. So, okay. Let's say I want, cause I I'll be honest, full disclosure. I've never made kombucha myself. I remember when I was in naturopathic medical school, someone gave me a SCOBY and I was really afraid of it and I had it in my kitchen and I never did anything with it. So I want to try this. So can you yeah. give me like some real easy to follow, like step-by-step, what could I do if I wanted to make kombucha? Like tomorrow. So easy. Yeah, absolutely. And here, you know, you're voicing the majority of people's feelings. Um, it, the scoby's weird. Can it hurt me? You read <laughs> things online. They're like, oh, if you can contaminate it and if you make it at home, I mean, the same is true if you're cooking chicken, you know what I mean? Right. But we don't feel afraid of cooking chicken. And the reality is kombucha is actually a lot safer because that low pH and healthy organic acid profile has been proven in numerous studies to kill pathogenic organisms on contact. So it's actually really safe to make. So let's just start there. It's safe to make at home. Very easy. Okay. And then I've got a little song for you. I've got a little song for you, for your listeners. Will you help. It? Yes, I will. Okay. Ready? Uh-huh. Just like this. Kombucha tea. Easy as one, two, three. 
brew sweet tea, add a scoby, wait a week and then repeat. <laughs> Baby, you and me, girl. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly right. So, so this is so. Here's how we do it. We make sweet tea. What is that? Um, one gallon of sweet tea is going to have one cup of sugar. It'll have four to six tea bags. So, a lot of people ask about the caffeine. Is there a lot of caffeine in kombucha? The reality is there's not a lot of caffeine in kombucha. And part of that is if you think about when you're drinking a teacup, it's six to eight ounces of water per tea bag. So, if we were to extrapolate that to a gallon, that would be sixteen tea bags. But we're only using four to six. So we're okay. already reducing the amount of caffeine. Caffeine right there. And so how and much sugar do you say? One cup of sugar. Okay. So I know that sounds like a lot, but again, when you drink the final product, it's by personal taste, but your taste buds are really great at telling you what you're really looking for is that like sour punch, but with just enough sweetness that you enjoy the, you know, like a sour patch kid, right? Yeah. Half the fun is it's sour and it makes your mouth pucker. Right. Um, and so, uh, so that sweet tea gets all combined together. We then float in the SCOBY. And then here's a crucial step is the starter liquid. So starter liquid is fermented kombucha. We take it from the batch prior. But there, it's important that we take it from the top and not the bottom. As, as you heard me mention before, symbiosis is not kumbaya. And what that means is that we as the stewards of the brew need to maintain a healthy balance between the bacteria and the yeast. So there's yeast floating around all over. And many of them can cohabitate with the kombucha culture um, and they will collect at the bottom of the jar so if you've ever seen like the brown stuff at the bottom of the Mm -hmm. jar that's the yeast now the problem is if you drain everything down and then only use the dregs as your starter liquid it's there's too much yeast it tends to dominate the bacteria and it leads to off flavors poor scoby growth and things like that so take your starter liquid from the top where it's bacteria rich it's almost like a little offering because a new layer grows with every batch you take off the the layers you take your one to two cups of starter and then everything else is for you to drink. Okay. Um, So let me just say this back to you and you tell me if I'm right. So I take, you said a gallon of water and four to six tea bags, right? And I'm making that into tea. So I'm boiling it up and making tea, right? And then I'm adding sugar, a cup of sugar. Is that right? That's right. But here's what I'm going to tell you is we do a shortcut method. So instead, because the cultures are temperature sensitive, right? Yeast. Have you ever baked bread or worked with yeast to make bread? Not really. Yeah. Well, they're on it, (laughs) on the packet, it says, you know, lukewarm temperatures. And that's because yeast are temperature sensitive. We're actually more closely related to yeast than we are bacteria when you look on the phylogenetic tree. Um, But... They like those ambient temperatures. So instead of boiling all the water and then having to wait for it to cool down, we do a shortcut method. So in this case, we're only boiling four cups of water, and it's into that four cups that we put those four to six tea bags. As soon as it's done steeping after about 15 minutes, we take those out. We put the cup of sugar in. It's nice and hot. That dissolves really quick. So you pour that sugar in. You stir it up, stir in hope, stir in dreams, stir in love, whatever you want to put in there. It is a living being. Um, And love is the secret ingredient that nourishes the soul. Right there's a there's only so much a processed food can do, but if there's no love in it, amen to that. Something's missing. Um, <laughs> and then we pour cold water on top of it, and that brings the temperature down fast. And that way, we can immediately put our scobies and starter liquid in. And the great thing is, is you can go grab this recipe off our website. Just go to kombuchacamp.com. That's camp with a K backslash kombucha recipe, and we've got the whole thing there with a brewing log and a DIY guide. So we make it nice and easy cool. for anyone who wants to try this at home. But yeah, so you okay? So you put the scoby in, and then you cover it with a cloth cover. So this is different, right? In some fermentation processes, we're we're airtight or we've got a little bubbler or something like that. In this case, we want the oxygen present because 
first there's an aerobic process that takes place, and then the SCOBY creates a seal, and an anaerobic takes place below the surface of the liquid. But no cheesecloth. Cheesecloth is really loose. And fruit flies, which are also known as vinegar flies, love kombucha. Okay. The best way to control for them, just put a little dish of kombucha out. They fall to their death. They drown in happiness. (laughs) (laughs) So what kind of cloth cover do you recommend? It could be an old T-shirt. It could, okay. you know, as long as there's not a hole in it. You know, you want something that's tightly woven but breathable. Uh-huh. So, um, old sheets or something like that. And then we have these cute little caps we make with a little ruffle and grippery elastic if you want to get all fancy. Um, <laughs> those as well. And so how long until you're ready to drink it? 7 to 14 days. And this depends on your brewing conditions and your taste preference. So the warmer it is, the faster the fermentation goes. We like an ideal range of 75 to 85 with 80 being the sweet spot. Not everyone's home is at that temperature. You can still brew it at cooler temps, but if it's too cold, it might go to mold. So if you get mold and it's cold out, that's probably the reason. You just need to get it a bit warmer. And then um, the longer it ferments, the more tangy it becomes. So if you're someone who prefers that tangier flavor, you're going to want to let it go longer. If you're someone who's still bridging into that tanginess, you might do a shorter ferment. In Russia, before they had, you know, they didn't have soda pop until the 80s. And so they would make a sweeter kombucha as their soda pop, essentially, um, because all the fermented drinks are our original sodas. That's what sodas um, are simulacrum of, right? They're wannabe fermented drinks. That's cool. So is it safe to start? So at about a weekend, you can start tasting it to see how how you like it? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, you just stick a little straw in there. And again, because of that healthy acid profile, you don't have to worry, is my backwash going to taint it? No worries. (laughs) (laughs) Unless you're brewing kombucha in a barn with cows that have anthrax, you're not going to contaminate your brew. So just don't do that. Well, my last concern would be contaminating it. It would be, you know, that's going to be killing me. (laughs) Yeah, it's so, well, think about it like this, right? If people have been making this for hundreds, maybe thousands of years, and probably in conditions less sanitary than what we would consider sanitary today, why would we still be doing this? Well, clearly it's a hardy organism and it's something that humans have treasured, right? right it's something course. that they felt brought them benefit and not danger or fear in that way. And so it's just like our when you say making yogurt at home, does someone immediately, does that strike fear into their hearts? Oh, I'm making yogurt. Oh, it's going to kill me. It's just this lack of familiarity that creates this kind of fear of the unknown. Yeah. But the reality is it's incredibly safe. It's super easy. And, um, and here's, here's why it's so good for you, Lo, is um, it's made from tea. Mm-hmm. Right? How many research studies have they done on tea? The polyphenols, the antioxidants, you know, yeah. all of the good elements of tea. So you're starting with something that's incredibly healthy for you. Mm-hmm. Then you're adding fermentation to it, which makes the nutrients more bioavailable. You have the living organisms. They create these other great healthy acids. And so it makes sense why something like kombucha ends up with this crazy reputation as being this, <laughs> you know, tea of long life and, you know, the tea of immortality. And, and we certainly don't call it that because you... You know, you always set yourself up for failure if you ascribe so much benefit to one thing because, you know, it's not one thing. Yeah, absolutely. It's a collection of things. So where do I get a SCOBY and what if this is my first batch? So the whole starter liquid, do I buy some really good kombucha and just use that? 
So it used to be that you could go to the store and purchase a kombucha. It was raw and authentic and unadulterated and nothing had been done to it. And then in 2010, Whole Foods took all the kombuchas off the shelf. And when they did that, they there's, there's a low um, threshold for taxation in this country that's not associated with inebriation, and that's 0.5%. So if anything has 0.5% or more, you're subject to tax and you have to carry this, you know, warning label and this and that. Well, the kombucha manufacturers reformulated. So they were able to change the way they produce the product in order to reduce that so that they could fit into that non-alcoholic category. But what happened was when they did that is it's very similar to commercial yogurts um, where there's a reduction in the, in the, diversity of organisms. It doesn't quite have everything present. And it's not to say that then all the health benefit is gone. Of course it isn't. It's far healthier for you than other things, but it's incomplete in the sense of its total diversity. And so, you know, because a culture reproduces and you literally get a lifetime supply from one culture, we recommend looking for a reputable, you know, retailer. So us, of course, kombucha camp, we're bacteria farmers. It's what we do. But, you know, if you've got a friend who's been brewing for a while, um, as long as they're giving you at least one to two cups of starter liquid, Mm -hmm. that's also a great place to get it, you know, um, getting it from friends. But the reality is trying to grow one from a bottle, it certainly, it can do it. And we definitely recommend that for vetting your brands. Like, um, a brand that doesn't grow a SCOBY is probably a brand you want to maybe just shy away from um, because if it can grow a SCOBY, it demonstrates that enough of those living organisms are present. The problem that most people run into is even if they then brew with those cultures, the flavor's not as good or something's lacking. And again, it's like commercial yogurts. If we try to start yogurt from one of those, you might get a batch or two, but it quickly um, fails because it just doesn't have the same diversity as Got it. Okay. That makes sense. What about, I'm, I'm curious about uh, essential oils. Do you know of any usage of that with, with kombucha? I'm, I'm certain that people can do it. I personally don't use essential oils and, and it's just my philosophy. Like my thought process is what else is in the apple? that I don't know about or that humans haven't figured out, that's also important. And so when I go to flavor my kombucha, I'm going to want to take that whole app, chop it into pieces and put that in there rather than like a juice or an essential oil. And that's because I don't know what else is in there. And I'm, I anticipate that the kombucha, and I trust that it's going to pull out all the benefit that's going to be good for me. And so the same is true of like herbs. One of the first places I went to find flavorings for my brew was to my garden. Mm-hmm. Look, here's some thyme. Here's some rosemary. You know, and they have lots of essential oils. They're in that living form. Right. And so that's where I prefer to get them. But certainly you can. Of course, the most important thing is can you digest that essential oil, right? Because right. some are made that you can digest as a human being and some are made just for topical uses. Awesome. And then, of course, a little bit goes a long way. This is true of any kind of flavoring agent we're using with the kombucha. Um, and it has to do with surface area. So there's a so like that apple example I was using, if I were using whole you know, a whole piece of fruit and chopping it up into pieces, I I would use more of that than I would have, say, apple juice, where the sugar is more easily accessible because it's already been pureed out of the flesh of the apple. Mm -hmm. So um, depending on which form you're using, you can use more or less of the flavoring agent. And again, less is more with kombucha. So you don't want to put a ton of juice in there. That could actually make it get more sour because it over-sugarifies the yeast and they go crazy. 
I love that you're that you love the science of this, and um, I, I'm sure you've you know of conditions that have been benefited using kombucha. Can you share some of those, or even maybe some uh, of your customers who have had some health improvements with this? Oh man, yeah. I mean, we get so many emails from folks who, whether it's they can give up their antacid pills, or they've reduced the amount of insulin they're taking, or um, you know conditions that people said were never going to go away are then reversed. And I'm always with the word of caution here, Lauren, uh, because you know how people will just take something out of context and try to run with it. The reality is, is it it's because of the healthy detoxification acids, it supports healthy liver function. And when we think about the kind of world we live in right now where there's um, poison in the air, there's poison in the water, there's poison in the food, there's poison in the beauty products, I mean, there's poison in the drugs, right? There's just, we are literally in toxic overload. And so when you start consuming a product that has gluconic chronic acid, which is also produced by, the, by a healthy liver, and what those acids do is instead of sequestering toxins and storing them in your fat where they gradually bioaccumulate, it causes that once the bond is created, it's then secreted through hydrolysis or urination. And so instead of retaining toxins, your body then starts to flush them out. Now imagine a dirty filter, and when that filter starts to come clean, this is why kombucha is able to help with so many seeming disparate things, is because it's getting to that root cause and allowing the body to function again. Mm-hmm. Right. So anything that can be benefited from healing the gut, basically <laughs> rebalancing what's going on in the digestive tract could be potentially um, helped with kombucha. It's true. And that's why, but here's the thing is because it's an adaptogen, because it's something that works differently in each person, mm-hmm. just because I experience one benefit from kombucha doesn't mean that you'll experience that same benefit. Yeah. And, you know, uh, and so that's, that's what's great about it is it's going to work specific to your needs. So, mm-hmm. um, so just try a little bit and see what happens. Exactly right. That's how we say your kombucha journey starts with a single sip. So, <laughs> <laughs> and if you, and if it tastes funky, go ahead and try a different brand. I guarantee because it's a craft beverage, you, you know, one brand is going to be very different from another. And so you will find a flavor out there you like. Besides the kombucha recipes that you have in your book, I, you said you have the, the fruit chews. Any, anything else that's not kombucha or the chews that, that you're excited about recipe-wise? Oh, my gosh. Um, I love the fruit leather. Well, the cocktail recipes. Because here's yeah. the thing. Again, because kombucha supports a healthy liver, it's like a little antidote with your poison. So Ooh. I will actually bring my booch with me to the bar. <laughs> I'll order my cocktail, my mixed drink. I'll drink about half of it, and then I top it off with my booch. And so this way I get like two drinks for the price of one, and I'm not so tipsy that I can then enjoy a second drink. I think the roaring 20s, the 2020s that is, are going to come back, and it's going to be people um, who are who are you know, here's the thing. Alcohol is our original medicine. Yeah. But we treat it like a controlled substance in this country. And so we don't value the, the nutritional and the healing properties that are inherent to it. And um, I have this whole theory, and who knows if and when it will ever be proven to be true or not. But I, I really believe that the pasteurization of alcohol is part of what causes overconsumption. Because in our DNA, and like you were saying, our 
you know, our DNA and, and our genes are not even necessarily human, but um, over time we've evolved these communication, these strategies, our instincts really come from the information passed down to us. And humans are hardwired to seek carbonation because in ancient times, how did they even know fermentation was happening? Well, they saw the bubbles. And what did the bubbles look like? Well, they looked like boiling water. And so even the root word um, fevere for ferment means to boil because that was the action you saw. And so we have this connection between bubbles and nutrition. And when that biofeedback loop doesn't meet what it's seeking, it then is a broken feedback loop. And this is like your addiction to sodas or your addiction to pasteurized alcohol. I truly believe it's because you're not getting the B vitamins and the other nutrition your body has been desperately seeking. In mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Listen to those cravings and those body messages. Wow. This has been a really fun a very different show than any shows I've had. Um, I appreciate so much the humor and the enthusiasm that comes with this topic and also just how it's something that even for like the most, you know, the biggest novice, like for myself, uh, that we can start with, uh, you know, just our first little booch batch. So thank you. And it's so forgiving. Yeah, no, the, the culture is really hardy. You know, you can abuse it for the most part, provided it has enough liquid and stays out of the fridge. You can yeah. probably leave a culture forever and come back to it in a year later or whatever, and it's going to be perfectly fine. And that's because that cellulose is so hardy. But, you know, it's a really great ferment for people who are who are new to fermentation. It's a lot of fun. It's great for kids and families. Kids love kombucha. Comes a great low cost substitute for the sugary juices and and sodas and things. And you know, I was saying originally that like these are our original sodas, right? So soda has to imitate the healthy acids. They put phosphoric acid in there, but phosphoric acid depletes the body, whereas the healthy acids nutrify the body. They have to add carbonation, but we have natural carbonation from the yeast, and they have to. Um, the sugar is usually in this awful chemicalized form, unfortunately. But the little bit of sugar left in our fermented drinks is what helps us to swallow them down. And you know, humans have been fermenting any kind of herb or flower or fruit that they can get their hands on. Um, for forever. And uh, ginger ale is the prohibition version of ginger beer, which was one of the most, it was literally the most popular beverage in the United States before prohibition. So it's exciting that we're kind of coming back to our old uh, bacteria buddies and, and seeing what they can do to help us. And I'm just, I'm super stoked for all the science that's coming out and showing and showing this. And you know what I think? It's not going to necessarily draw these straight lines between, like you were mentioning before, the bacterioroides. They had more of this and more of that. I really think it's just going to show like diversity is so crucial. And then when yeah. I extrapolate that metaphor out, it's like we need diversity of ideas. We need diversity of people. We need diversity as a whole mono anything has failed mono cropping monoculture mm. you know monopolies um, you know uh all of these things have a tendency to fail because what truly creates strength is difference and embracing difference and doing it like i said with the symbiosis with healthy boundaries with respect i we can have differing opinions, but as long as I value you have the right to live and vice versa, we can all live in a world like that, right? It's, yeah. it's when we don't respect that each of us has that right to live that things get into a really inappropriate space. Mm-hmm. And your bacteria deserve a right to live because they work for you and they love you. Exactly right. So stop killing them with those hand soaps and whatnot. Yeah. <laughs> and get your booch on. Get your booch on. Get, get your, your booch on. Get your booch on. Get your booch on. <laughs> okay. So here's another song. We are living in a bacteria world and I am a bacteria. 
Suspiria girl. <laughs> oh, it's so good. It's so good. I really think you need to come out with a mixtape. I think so too, except they'll all just be little clips. Like yeah. I'm Weird Al Yankovic or anything. Yeah, totally. uh, <laughs> yeah. Get these kids excited about the booch too. Totally. Well, yeah. the booch gets you excited and creative, so it's all good. It all <laughs> flows together. <laughs> Well, Hannah, I love that you came on my show. Thank you so much for joining me. And I'm excited to make my way up to LA and we can have a little dance party. I love that. With some yeah. booch tunes. Cocktails and some dancing. And if anyone wants to know more about kombucha, of course, come visit kombuchacamp.com, camp with a K, our DIY guide. You can download that for free. We're also on YouTube with lots of great videos, uh, Pinterest, you know, Anywhere on the internet, you can find us. We're out there. And then if you're interested in becoming a kombucha brewer or starting a new business, not only do we offer consultation services, but go check out Kombucha Brewers International. We've, you know, we started the, we started the organization in 2014 with 40 members. We're already over 130 around the world. So, I mean, it's just a testament to how quickly this is growing and, you know, it's the real thing. You don't need to pay people millions of dollars to jump around and sing and, and pretend that ookie brown stuff in a bottle is delicious. Um, it truly is. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I, I love the, the excitement, the inspiration and, um, and all you guys go check out kombuchacamp.com. Hannah, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. All right, my loves, that is the show. Thank you so much for tuning in. You can check out all the other episodes over at shinenaturalmedicine.com. And if you love the show, please go over to iTunes, leave me a five-star review and tell everyone how amazing the show is and how much you love it. And if you have suggestions or comments or recommendations for guests or topics, you can leave that there as well. I read each and every one of those. I promise you guys I will keep bringing you some awesome shows. We have really, really great guests coming in the future uh, future weeks and really great topics. So I hope that you have gotten some value out of the show. Have a wonderful rest of your week. And remember, the road to heaven is paved with good intestines. In the words of my uh, mentor, Dr. Steven Sandberg-Lewis, and it is the truth. Take care of your gut. It'll take care of you. Have a wonderful week. Love you guys. Check you next week. Bye. North Pole Hotline, Mrs. Claus here. My holiday shopping list is so big, I can't wait for Black Friday. Get to Old Navy's biggest sale of the year starting tomorrow. Old Navy? Beat the crowds for 50% off your entire purchase. 50% off? Plus, this Friday only, Old Navy's famous cozy socks are just a buck in stores. Old Navy's giving $1 for every pair sold up to a million dollars to boys and girls clubs. So I can do good, look good, and get 50% off your entire purchase at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1121 to 1123. Exclusions apply. See store for details. Cozy socks valid 1123 in stores only. Limit 10. North Pole Hotline, Mrs. Claus here. My holiday shopping list is so big, I can't wait for Black Friday. Get to Old Navy's biggest sale of the year starting tomorrow. Old Navy? Beat the crowds for 50% off your entire purchase. 50% off? Plus, this Friday only, Old Navy's famous cozy socks are just a buck in stores. Old Navy's giving $1 for every pair sold up to a million dollars to boys and girls clubs. So I can do good, look good, and get 50% off your entire purchase at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1121 to 1123. Exclusions apply. See store for details. Cozy socks valid 1123 in stores only. Limit 10.